Hello and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about video game adaptations of other properties. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. On this podcast, we like to talk about games. Um, this is started, this whole conversation started because there's an article... Okay, and it's going to be in the description, I'm sure. Yes. Uh, that is on waypointvice.com. Like, maybe Waypoint is like a sub sub thing yeah. of Vice. Uh, it's called A No Bullshit Conversation with the Authors Behind The Witcher and Metro 2033. And it's just kind of like a quick interview breakdown thing um, uh, of Andrzej and, Sapkowski. Who is the Witcher novelist and uh, Dmitry Glukovsky? I'm sorry that I just butchered those names. Uh, who is the Metro 2033 author? Uh, they have some differing viewpoints about, um, you know, video game adaptations of their novels, um, and uh, and so that was kind of like the jumping off point that people have been. A lot of people have been talking about it on podcasts, making rebuttal kind of uh, re- re- rebuttal kind of articles. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, most most of the articles have been rebuttals because the only people that really care about this are video game people, and uh, the author of The Witcher does not seem to be a fan of the video games very much. Um, although the the article does say that reading, like he sounds very grumpy in the article, but the article goes out of its way to mention that he sounds very very jovial and charismatic in person. So maybe this isn't as as bitter as it reads. Um, but he basically goes on to say things like, you know, uh, video game, classic video games are an art. You can't get like literature by talking to a squirrel or something and, uh, other things like things that are patently untrue. Like the video games didn't make my books popular. My books made the video game popular. Um, yeah, just as a little bit of background. Um, so the Witcher books have actually been around for a long time, right? The first one was published like 30 years ago. Um, and they are based pretty heavily in kind of like Polish, Eastern European, uh, culture and like lore almost. So it's in a way it's like, you know, imagine like Lord of the Rings, right? Lord of the Rings being based primarily on, uh, kind of like English culture, like medieval culture and stuff like that and transmitting that into a fantasy setting, right? The, the kind of, the kind of thought behind the Witcher books is the same kind of translation. It's just... Um, the fantasy version of what Polish, you know, like like medieval Polish culture was kind of built around, right? Um, and then CD Projekt Red obviously purchased the rights to, you know, make the adaptation. They made the wildly successful Witcher 1, 2, and 3 over the course of, uh, you know, the last 10 years or so. Um, and, uh... And so there, there are a little bit of there's a little bit of a question there about whether or not like oh did the Witcher sell you know did the Witcher sell like gangbusters because it was so faithful to this hugely popular line of books or you know was it the other way around right like so because you know I actually think there's a, there's a pretty solid argument for that right like I don't think the Lord of the Rings books sold the Lord of the Rings adaptations that came out. Uh, you know, in 2001, 2002, and 2003, right? Like, the Telltale Game of Thrones game isn't selling, uh, isn't selling copies, essentially, of Game of Thrones. It's Game of Thrones that sells copies of that Telltale game. Right. Um, but I, I, I think, at least in the English-speaking world, 
it's it's I don't think The Witcher would have I don't think The Witcher was that popular before the games came out and I and um yeah, he also uses some really dubious logic to kind of get there like, "Oh, well the English translation came out before the games." Like, well, yeah, but that doesn't really like demarcate success. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like also um one of the podcasts the super best friends um the uh one of the, the, the people there um, claims that that was, in fact, not true because he remembers when the games first came out, some of the books weren't translated, and so fans were passing around fan translations in Google Documents. So Yeah, not to mention that later on, he pretty much directly contradicts himself because he talks about going to author meetups, and the only people that are there are people who know the games essentially yeah um so yeah i mean you know he, he also does say <laughs> some things that i think are kind of shitty like like kind of like directly shitty which is he, he basically accuses cd project red of hiding the fact that these are based on books which i don't like yeah it doesn't say like based on the book in like giant red letters across the cover or across like the cover of the box but i don't think they really hide it um um and just for, for full context, after this article was published, some people went and did some research, and I've only heard this, uh, I guess, third-hand through a couple podcasts, but um, the claim is that he was offered royalties, and he turned it down and instead took a lump sum for the license, and so he has not profited off of the wild success of The Witcher games. Oh... Uh, yeah, I mean that's a little speculative. It, it implies yeah. to a certain extent that that like that might be the reason he's so yes, bitter, yeah. But. Though to be honest, I do want to kind of stick up for him a little bit. I definitely know, you know, I spend a lot of my time paying attention to what creators of things say about the things that they create, and I have run into this kind of like aggressive uh, author before and i very much agree that like the the characterization that he gets where he where he says like yeah this guy you know he has some pretty controversial views or whatever but he's also kind of like weirdly charming um and everything like that i have i have i have read articles and i have met actually like literally in-person creators um if anybody has ever met keith giffen who's an insanely famous uh super long time comic book uh uh writer and artist Keith Giffen is the kind of the exact same way. Um, for instance, he, you know, it's it's this is all kind of comic book stuff, so it doesn't kind of get to that same level. For instance, one of the things that he believes is that there is literally no such thing as talent, right? At the end of the day, if you are the shittiest artist in the world, right, all you need to do is put in the time and you will be the best artist in the world, right? Anybody who says they have talent or whatever are lying. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, like, so... Uh, he, uh, he, he, so he's gotten in trouble a couple of times, gotten in trouble, quote, unquote, unquote, in the same way that this guy has by just like, you know, like by making very bold claims and being a little bit kind of, uh, contrarian and aggressive, uh, about them, uh, and then getting, uh, uh, and then getting a little bit hit for that because it's, outside of and you know and he would be the kind of person to like read an argument like read a rebuttal to this and kind of say like well i don't really you know like i don't give a shit what this guy says he's wrong i'm right you know what i mean that kind of thing uh but there's but it is you know it's not a bad thing i don't want to attack this guy personally um you know uh yeah um and and also like to to paraphrase um an argument put forth by by again pat of the super best friends 
Um, this, this is he like he, if he is bitter, it's kind of understandable because he's he's watching himself become a footnote in his own creation, right? Like, uh-huh. like in 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 like in the English speaking world, the Witcher series is a video game series made by CD Projekt Red, and there's a footnote somewhere about how about how originally there was a book that it was based on, um, uh, or some books that it was based on by this 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 author. Um, and that, that, like, uh, frankly, I could feel for that, right? Like, that's got that has to be um, infuriating, or you know, or, or depressing, or you know, just some negative emotion, right? Like, yeah. to watch to watch. For your... instance, when I kick Mango off of this podcast, and then we pick up a new host, and then we get skyrocketed into glory and popularity, <laughs> you will know that feeling firsthand. Oh, are you are you scouting out talent? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, who am I gonna get, Zhao, Mark? <laughs> Oh man! Uh, just, just both of them, Zao Z- and Mark. Yeah, yeah, Zao and Mark. They're gonna replace the two of us. Zao and Mark. Version. We should have a spinoff. We should have a spinoff podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they would get along great. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so, but I do want to. So, I want to dive a little bit into what he says because uh, well, obviously, do do we want to jump real quick into what uh, Dimitri says? Because Dimitri. Oh yeah. So I okay. So the other thing I want to say, uh, I think the interesting person here is on on Andres. I've heard of The interesting person is Sepkowski, right? Yeah. Um, Dimitri is not. <laughs> you know so I, mean? like, I I think Dimitri is interesting, but for reasons not gone into into this article. So Dimitri Dimitri basically loves all of this. He worked with the authors. Dimitri is interesting in his own right because he wrote this the first Metro book. When he was, like, 17, put it out for free on the internet, and then it got published. And, like, he does crazy things, like, all of his sequels are, like, side story spinoffs. And so the the video games which follow the same character, he helped write, but were novel stories. Also, there are other books in the canon that are written by fans that he just, like, approved. Right? People would write fan books, oh, wow. send them to him, and he would approve them, and they'd, and they'd be in the canon, and they'd get published with the Metro 2033 title. So I think that stuff's interesting, but not necessarily for this conversation. Uh, I actually do think that in a way that is interesting for this conversation. Okay. I, I would be very interested to see... I mean, it's, it's you know, I don't want to say writing a novel is easy, right? Uh, but writing a novel is easier in certain contexts than, than making a game, right? Like, it is... Uh, like, you know, I guess we've there's seen... There's less overhead. Seen, like, yeah, there's, just, there's less overhead. Uh, and it's easier to do on your own. It's, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. it's a huge time sink... Uh, and everything else uh, sort of thing, but, like, you can just kind of solo it, uh, but make it, you know what I mean? Like, if I wanted to make, if I wanted to make a, a fan game in the Fallout series, that's a pretty impressive undertaking um, in comparison. Even if, you know, even if I'm only making, like, the 2D platformer version, right, like... Um, yeah, it, it it still requires a lot of technical investment and uh, yeah, uh, um, and but like you know, so like this is something for instance that like skyrocketed. Um, I actually like low key think that this is the reason that Star Wars is so popular and so like ridiculous in the pop culture context. Um, people, you know, it's funny because um, I think people have a very interesting engagement with Star Wars. There's a lot of like. You know, it's funny to see people, like, shit on the prequels, but then also have, like, a jolly laugh at, like, the holiday special 
even though you know what I mean. Like yeah, people, yeah. If my the point is is that there's a lot of Star Wars out there. People interface with it differently. But one of the huge things about Star Wars and the thing that I think makes it fundamentally unique compared to any of the other just like mega, you know, like mega mega smashes, right? Like, like yeah, I mean, okay, Star Wars in 1977 was a gigantic, legitimate like mega hit. Uh, but so was Gone with the Wind in the 30s, and so was Jaws, and so was Terminator, um, and everything like that. And none of them have nearly the same kind of pop culture footprint that Star Wars does. Um, and I do not believe that, that that footprint for Star Wars is is because of that movie, right? If it is just Star Wars, the movie that comes out in 1977, and not any of the other kind of uh, uh, accoutrement that accompanied it... Um, you know, even if it's just the original trilogy of those three movies, you know, like back to back to back, I don't think it nearly has the same kind of footprint. The thing that I think makes Star Wars unique is that, um, Lucas, uh, essentially kind of had the same policy. It was a little bit more technical than, than what, uh, Dimitri is describing, but like the huge amount that people were writing for the the like the Star Wars license in terms of books and everything like that and then the you know immediately being licensed off into things like video games right like what you know it was probably like the first adaptation that made it out into kind of video games and stuff like that and and as far as i understand it right basically everything like lucas's perspective was basically everything was game except for the 100 years or so after like Return of the Jedi or something. And even that rule only got put in place after the Yuuzhan Vong stuff, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, I'm sure you do. Oh, know. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're like, there's some Thrawn stuff, right? Mara Jade. All the, So there's some of that stuff. And then this 100-year kind of block gets established at some point. I think in the mid to late 90s uh, is when this kind of got put in place. But they were just like approving what was essentially fan fiction, right? And, and hiring people to write, you know... Uh, yeah. And just kind of go, hey, fucking, go, you know, go nuts you, about this lore. You, you um, said Vong, I'm pretty sure it was like early aughts, um, but uh, but yeah, was it really early aughts? Uh, I I I believe so. Just based on, I remember when the books were coming out, and that was let's uh, let's we're both sitting at computers. Let's look up new. That's a good point. I, I do want to say that uh, that this information that I am reporting is all pretty anecdotal. Not anecdotal, but it's I've, it's third party. I've heard it through. Um, Published from 1999 to 2003. Fair enough. That actually makes a lot of sense because the Yuuzhan Vong were a giant presence in the Wizards of the Coast D20 adaptation. Uh, uh, you could actually play in one of three eras. You could play, um, you know, you could play the kind of uh, the prequel era. Um, uh, the Republic era, the Empire era, and then like the Yuuzhan Vong, uh, whatever that was, that was called another one. New Jedi, Jedi Order. Order. Yeah, yeah that's, that, that was the era that that was, uh, that that came around. In. But anyway, I uh, think that um, that kind of thing, I think that that kind of policy, right, and just flooding and flooding the IP, uh, essentially with just a huge amount of content is what made Star Wars so special. Um, and so I definitely agree with Dimitri when he kind of says like, yes, this is a good thing. It powers, you know... It powers my IP. It doesn't sap from it, essentially. I, I wonder. I, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. But uh, now that you've got me thinking on this, I wonder if uh, the new Jedi Order is what caused the policy to be put into place. Because um, Ari Salvatore, uh, or so spoilers for the first book of New Jedi Order. But Ari Salvatore uh, killed Chewbacca in the first book of uh, the New Jedi Order. 
Um, and I wonder if something like that is what was like, oh, no, we can't have people killing off my characters. In, well, so I think it was something about um, – I, I may be misremembering the details of this because I, now that I think about it, there was all this extra stuff that came out afterward in these dark – uh, in dark, these Dark Horse comics, comics you know, yeah, yeah, they they, yeah, they had that, a Chewbacca remembrance. Jason, uh, yeah, they had like a uh, a J, like the Jason Solo, like Han Solo and Leia's uh, um, kids. Like one of them chose the light side, one of them chose the dark side. Right, right. Jason um, and Jaina, yeah. Um, and th- and that was all in there. So I think it was just like that. Like I think it was something along the lines of like you need heavier approval to to write inside of this uh, timeline. Yeah, but this is kind of how Bioware just kind of got like the go-ahead to create this huge sprawling lore in Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2 and eventually uh, the Old Republic MMO, essentially, um, is because of how kind of hands-off uh, you know George Lucas was with the uh, with like the kind of continuity. Um, a good contrast for this, by the way, is Star Trek because Gene Roddenberry was always very uh, uh, hyper aware. I'm told um, uh, was very hyper aware of the kind of um, uh, and he was he was uh, on board uh, essentially until his death to uh, figure out you know to figure out what what stuff was happening in terms of. Uh, you know, like the Star Trek movies and everything like that. Like he was much more hands-on than George Lucas ended up being. Um, uh, well, I mean, the, 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 part part of that is with 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 Star Trek. Star Trek's its own crazy kind of thing because there is a very well-defined Alpha Canon and Beta Canon, where Alpha Canon is kind of all like the first-party stuff, and Beta Canon is is kind of like there are there are novels that are written by the actors about their characters in like the Beta Canon. No um, way, really? Yeah, like wow, um, I didn't actually know about this beta canon, alpha canon stuff. Yeah, um, it it is it is it is kind of is one of the more interesting things about this Star or Star Trek canon is that there there are very like hard lines about like what's like super canon, what's mostly canon, and and like then there's like I think there's like a C canon that's like fan fiction and and like like real fan fan fiction whatever. Um, but uh, it, it, it you're right, it's an interesting counterpoint because it's very um rigidly kind of set up um. Uh, to to kind of <coughs> excuse me, uh, to to define what's what what is real Star Trek, um, but I, I think you're right. I think Gene Roddenberry was was super involved, and I think his kind of influence is why it, it split into into these very hard um, d- divisions of of uh, of the canon. Um, Interesting. Um, yeah, I, and so and so. Um, well, sorry, sorry. Finish your thought. Oh, I was saying I'm not a super Star Trek fan. I've seen. Most of Deep Space Nine, and and that's about it. So, and, and I've read around it, but uh, so so don't uh, any Star Trek fans out there, uh, don't don't uh, slaughter me because I, I'm not aware of the nuances of the uh, the Star Trek canon. Um, but that that that's all I wanted to say. Um, but anyway, you're you're you were gonna say something. So so my point. So you know my I you know he makes this point later on. Dimitri makes this point later on where he kind of says. Um, you know, these games are great. They power, they fuel my IP. And I definitely think that that's, that's true. I think that when it comes to adaptations, this is the, this is kind of like the right, um, uh, this is kind of the right idea. Um, but I also, um, but I also think that it's kind of the bore, you know, like that point is so obvious to me that it's kind of boring. <laughs> yeah. There's also nothing to kind of like rail against, right? Like, I don't know. Like, you could say I agree with that and kind of keep keep walking, right? Like I I think I think Sapowski's or Sapkowski's points have, have things that you can like 
look at and uh, and and say, well, well, this is this is wrong because and I I I think this is also kind of a good window into like the older generation, like the you know Roger Ebert, um, who famously said that the video games could never be art. Um, we've got Subkowski uh, in this article saying essentially the same thing. I I think that th these are kind of like good lenses into like how like essentially the 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 old old school um, feels about um, about video games is kind of uh, an, an entertainment medium, um, and I'm sure we'll have our entertainment medium that that we're like oh these kids with their candy crushes. Well, so, you know, I do have to, I, I think, uh, I think there are some interesting bits in here that are kind of a result of, like, misinformation inside of the culture. Like, so, okay, so, for instance, right, the best example I can think about for this is, uh, is movies and the way that we treat and talk about movies nowadays in terms of franchising and sequels and everything like that. Um, because there's this kind of expectation that, oh, you know, Pacific Rim is an original story, right? Oh, thank God, it's not just another shitty, like, remote qual or, you know, like, kind of whatever else. But, like, people who don't have a good understanding of what makes Hollywood Hollywood are the people who say that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, like if, you know, like, okay, so The Godfather is an adaptation. It's an adaptation of, like, a pulpy gangster book by a guy named Mario Puzzo. And it's actually a fantastic book, by the way. I actually really like the Godfather book. Um, and the movie's much better, right? Like the Godfather movie, you know, they took that and they elevated that and they made that something, uh, uh, they made that something that is unique and, and in just absolutely incredible, right? I don't want to take that away from anybody at all. In fact, by the way, most of these kinds of movies that come out are, the arty kind of re-adaptations of schlocky B-movie material, I guess, um, that these that these guys would have grown up on, uh, you know, just like watching on TV or whatever um, in the 50s and 60s, right? Everybody, everybody says this about Star Wars, right? Oh, Star Wars was supposed to be fucking, you know, uh, Flash Gordon or whatever else. But it actually extends to kind of everything, right? Jaws is just the, you know, it's the monster horror movie, you know, Alfred Hitchcock movie, right? Um, the Godfather is one of these gangster movies. Apocalypse Now is a war movie uh, in Vietnam rather than in World War II, right? Like they are updates. They are art. They are already updates of kind of schlock from two or three decades before, sort of a thing, right? Um, but almost all of these things, like a ton of these things, are all uh, uh, they're they're built on something else, right? Like because the, one of the ways that Hollywood is built is you go to parties and you own something. You own the rights to something. Even if it's, you know, a short story that you paid $16,000 to, right? That's the rights to, that's the rights to this thing. Um, and that's kind of, like, people don't, people don't really remember or understand that about its kind of history. And so games doing effectively the same thing for a lot of their nascent period, right? You know, this is part of what tanked THQ is they just aggressively bought up every license they could to make crappy adaptations of stuff, essentially. Um, and, uh, and so, and now we're actually kind of entering a period where, okay, we have our video game IPs that are, you know, that are unique and that are ours, uh, right? Like your Mass Effects, your Skyrims, your Warcrafts, 
uh, compared to, you know, your Star Warses and your Lord of the Rings, uh, where, you know, which would have been coming out however many, uh, not even all that long ago, like 10 or 15 years ago, right? Um, I mean, and even even Warcraft and Starcraft are, are uh, adaptations in in some like in some way of of Warhammer and, and Warhammer 40k universes. Yeah, definitely, right. And and you know like and I think that this is a very natural thing for the kind of like the medium to go through, right? Like, yeah, we all remember Knights of the Old Republic and everything, but you, we don't get to Mass Effect without those Knights of the Old Republic games, right? You know, and even with something like, uh, you know, like Morrowind. Right, Morrowind didn't sell, just didn't sell as well as like you know the Return of the King and the Two Towers, you know adaptation video games uh, that got published uh, in coordination with the movie. Did you ever play those games, by the way? Um, I played, I played like a couple of the action RPG ones with my brother, but that's. I played uh, the shit out of those games. Those action RPG games, I fucking loved them. Right. Wait, you, and now... Are you saying they sold better than Morrowind? Uh, they might have. Okay, I thought, I thought that's what you just said. Maybe I missed... Well, so, yeah, I mean, I think they... I think, well, okay. I, I'm not I'm not going necessarily off numbers. I'm just kind of... Okay. Uh, like, Morrowind, the, Morrowind is kind of a rediscovered... It was kind of like a dark horse thing, to be honest with you. Yeah. It was only available on the one system, right? It was only available on the original Xbox... Um, it wasn't ported to any other systems, as far as I know. Maybe there was a PC yeah, it, release of it. It, it was it, it, in much the same way that The Witcher 2 was... Like, The Witcher 1 was a good game, but was not particularly popular, and that drove um, kind of like the mid-level popularity of The Witcher 2, which drew, which drove, like, the incredible widespread popularity of The Witcher 3. In the same way, yeah. um, Daggerfall and Arena are kind of like, are like footnotes, and Morrowind kind of got this cult following that drove Oblivion, which also kind of coincided with, uh, you know, like, it, it kind of was like the leading edge of of, of graphics, but that's kind of... Yeah, um, I mean, uh, yeah, that, that, that's exactly how I think about it, right? Is yeah. that Oblivion was the big was the big bombshell that kind of made everybody go, like, whoa. And it was also, by the way, Oblivion and Fallout 3 back-to-back. Uh, I don't think it would have been... I think the... Um... Welcome back, folks. My internet cut out for a second there. Buddy, you were saying that... Uh, yeah, so for me, um, the the kind of uh, the, the the back to back, the one two punch that made Bethesda was Oblivion in two thousand and six, and then two years later, uh, you have uh, Fallout three in two thousand and eight. Right? This is a lot like you know, like The Sopranos and The Wire, kind of going back to back, just like making HBO like the super powerhouse, uh, kind of like premium. Uh, like television, like art television or whatever. Uh, th- like it's that it's that same principle extended into uh, extended into video games, right? Um, and I think that this kind of interaction, right, where we see a lot, of, like a ton, a ton of adaptations, but as time goes on and video video games become more assured of themselves, um, you get into uh, you get into kind of originality within each individual. Uh, kind of like franchising inside of the medium and the culture and the industry rather than adopting that stuff from the outside, right? Uh, I, I think along with that, you also start seeing greater greater kind of original entries into um, into established universes, which is what, you know, The Witcher is, right? It's not based yeah. on any of the books. In fact, it is set in the specifically in the timeline so that it can interface, especially The Witcher 3, which um, kind of picks up a lot of pieces of the original story that were omitted from the first two games, uh, like, 
Geralt gets amnesia at the beginning of the first game, and he starts to get his memory back in the third game, which kind of lets them bring in more of the, the book storylines. Um, uh, but, it, <coughs> excuse me, um, you, you start to see this all over the place, right? Like Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War are original stories within the with, within the Lord of the Rings universe. Um, and, and, and I think you're right. I think it's the genre, as, as the medium matures, rather, you get these... Uh, you get these uh, the, these kind of uh, original projects and, and original projects with, within existing IPs, like uh, say uh, Batman v Superman. I brought it up this time. <laughs> well done, dude. But I actually didn't know where you were going with that. But then as soon as you got that, I was like, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I want I wanted to make the reference for once. Yeah, no, and I definitely agree with that, right? So and and for for games specifically, just to like drill down into like really really kind of minute details really quickly, I actually think that it's an important process to go through for kind of a fledgling medium, right? In the same way that like you know as movies are finding their own kind of in the you know in the 30s with you know with Sound coming into it, right? And you can kind of, um, uh, you know, now that you have these novels like Gone with the Wind that are being adapted into movies, right? It is the process of whatever, you know, whatever author, right? A film director, a game, a game director, or whatever, saying, okay, how can I translate like the, you know, the kind of um, ephemeral essence of what makes this thing a, you know, an appealing thing from its current medium to its new medium, right? And I think that there's a lot of places where that that interaction comes out when when you when you tease these things out of video games, right? Like what is the, you know what is the video game uh, uh, what is the what is the video game version of the tension between the light side and the dark side, right? And now you have Paragon and Renegade, and now you have right uh, different kind of more like that process was fueled because someone some creator was looking at another you know was looking at the material he was adapting and saying like okay. I want to replicate how cool the tre- you know the Death Star trench run feels to, to you know to fly around in um, and fight uh, and as that de- you know and as that dev makes that decision and then that decision that he makes then gets iterated on and iterated on and iterated on and you're kind of you know you're kind of wheels turn and you cycle through this stuff right you end up in the play you know like you end up kind of where we are now where yeah i'm you know yeah i look back um you know like i look back on call of duty and i say these shooter mechanics right are you know like these shooter mechanics have have uh, matured from a place of right enemy at the gates or whatever you know like whatever else you want to say really the star wars reference is stronger than that but you get the you get my point you know what i mean um, it's a huge, super fertile ground for inspiration. And when the medium is new and when it's fresh and there's a whole lot of, uh, you know, like there's a whole lot of things within it that you can do, uh, taking that stuff and trying to distill it and make mechanics out of it and change it up to make a game out of it. That's a big, that's a big learning process. I think. I, I agree. I also think that like, it seems to me that in a, in a lot of ways, like th- these additions or adaptations rather not additions tend to kind of, like, roll forward. Like, I feel like, you know, movies adapt books successfully much more much more often than books adapt movies. And similarly, games adapt movies and books much more successfully than movie, than books or movies adapt video games. Um, 
I think there's something, something fundamental to the nature of the fact that, like, uh, I, I can't really speak to as much of why why the the books to movies one. Put, I think it's I think it it is a bit about moving kind of forward in time. Like no matter what, even you know, like like books feel older than movies, which feel older than TV, which fe- you know what I mean, like which feels older than games, and so it's natural to kind of upgrade to a certain extent the old media into a new medium, right? Sure. Um, but, but it feels weirdly not that in order to downgrade, uh, uh, if that makes sense. I, I agree with you, but but I also think that there's kind of like... I, I think with video games in particular, there there are... Um, they're kind of like elements of the medium that kind of lend it to those, to those forward adapt, uh, adaptations. Like, video games kind of by their nature require you to do more generalized world building than um uh than than uh, movies typically do and then and that like books can get there but books also kind of like you know best world building in the world was probably in Tolkien's uh Lord of the Rings but it was also terribly boring to read uh, I think that like to avoid those those kind of like like, like the dryness of, of what is essentially like history books, you can you can inject that a lot easier into a video game as kind of like uh, passerby dialogue or you know kind of like yeah, visual language, um, and I think I think be, because essentially you have in, in most cases you have to build kind of these environments that you kind of interact with that you you just kind of get like this very controlled window into like you do in a movie. I think that kind of taking something that's a little bit more narrowly defined in a movie and expanding on it in a video game is something that lends itself to the video game medium. And similarly, um, taking something that exists in like a fantasy world that doesn't have a well-defined visual element to it, right? It mostly exists in people's minds and, and adding those kind of concrete visual elements to it is something that video games do well with um, with, with the medium when adapting for books. Similarly with movies, um, the, those, those visual elements, of, of, of course. Um and and I think that uh, games kind of offer a novel, uh, a novel kind of way to experience a a a, a kind of uh, a setting um, and and a story, which is obviously kind of why why they are what they are. Um, but uh, I, I think I think that that strength of the uh, that strength of the medium is is kind of what lets lens adaptations to kind of uh work in the way that they do gotcha okay i feel that i see where you're coming from and i think that yeah and i think that that's definitely um i think that's definitely true i also i also think that a larger point to kind of come out of that might be like part of the reason that world building has become so uh kind of necessary in in everything it feels like um, is because of, I see, I don't want to say because of like video games, it's a little bit too powerful, but like, I think, I think that is something that like, you know, if, if you were to track the need for world building in your media over time, it's definitely increased a whole bunch, right? Uh, yeah. Especially I, in the last however many years. Um, I feel like that's and, kind of like the, the rise of nerd culture in general, right? Like you've got the mainstreaming yeah. of comic books, which were always big on worlds and continuity. You've got the mainstream mainstreaming in many ways of tabletop, um, t- you know, board games and, and and pen and paper RPGs, which, uh, you know, pen and paper RPGs are kind of like 
the the paper version of of video games, right? Like in, in terms of like that wideness of world building, um, and kind of like individual character, like it, it, you you interface with uh, with a with a table t- or a pen and paper game in kind of a lot of the same ways that you would interface with a, a video game. Obviously, there there's there's big differences between the two, but like the essentially when you're reading a book, you're reading a story, but when you're playing an RPG, you're interfacing with the world, which is kind of what video games offer to you as well. Um, obviously in different mediums, but uh, and I think the rise of of those things kind of has influenced has backwards influenced, um, you know, move, movies and and modern uh, modern entertainment to kind of explore those those elements because people like it and uh it sells um yeah and so and in in the face of that kind of thing um andre's sap you know whatever sapkowski's uh uh sapkowski's kind of viewpoint is just ludicrous right it's just fundamentally kind of like I, I just don't know. I just don't know how someone logically, logically gets there. I guess. Which, which aspect are you talking about? That like, uh, just the uh, the kind of, um, uh, you know, the way that he that you know he says this thing in here somewhere was like, where's the room for depth or sophisticated language with which games could elevate culture? There is none, right? Uh, and all of this shitting on CD Projekt Red that he does. Um, uh, you know, East is East, West is West, never the twain shall meet literature and video games or like East and West, right? Like he's talking about this massive, massive divide between them. Like there is no way that, but like it kind of, it kind of doesn't make like that. The, the, the very existence of the highly successful Witcher games makes that point moot. If that makes sense. Right? Like, if he's true, then why are these adaptations so successful, essentially? Right? Like, if that principle holds. Um... Yeah, no, like, The Witcher isn't, like, there, there are a thousand sword and sorcery games out there. The Witcher isn't successful just because, like, just because it's, like, a shell on top of a combat engine. Um, and there are, there are, like, you know, to to be fair to him, right? Like, if, you're, if your concept of video games is, like, you know... Uh, to take like a like a like, say uh, what what's 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 the the soccer car game? Why well, can't I remember its oh, name? Oh, Rocket, Rocket Rocket League, League right? Rocket League is is a very highly mechanical game, right? Like, and, and that's like ninety percent of what it rests on. Um, you know, if that if that if that kind of game is is you know, a game's a sport as we like to say, is your concept of video game? Then yeah, I kind of see what his point is, right? Like like the lore in League of Legends is kind of tertiary to everything else. Um, the kind of like little hints of like the society that Rocket League existed in is kind of like fun little winks, but nothing more than that. Um, but games are like are just so much more than that, um, or have the ability to be so much more than. That. In fact, this is this is generally your opinion, which is uh, you know, uh, other things like Mass Effect and The Witcher and and, and any of these story based games. The Bastion, my favorite game of all time, is. Uh, is kind of so much more than it's because because of the 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 story elements, um, and I I, th- I think it's just kind of like a, in the, either an unawareness or like a refu- like I don't know part part of me wants to believe that he just doesn't get it um, as an, as an old man uh, old old men you know kind of in some ways are are uh, 
are proud of their 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 ability to essentially be like I can I cannot get it and I can be okay with that and I can be proud of that, um, and that it's kind of a weird way to be, but that's just kind of like how how old men are, and so I I think that that's ultimately what what Subkowski is at this point is he's just he's an old man that doesn't understand the the times, as I'm sure uh, most people get to as 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 you uh, grow up and. Uh, lose your you know what's what's the expression you can't teach an old dog new tricks i feel i feel like that's essentially what what has happened to 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 sipkowski yeah i think to a certain extent that's true i also think that people are are kind of rooted in their own perspective this is something that happens to me when it comes to like rping and wow all the time because um uh like so you know my kind of training so to speak is in film more so than in anything else right um, and so I get ridiculously frustrated with people who write like in, in, in RP, right. Who write like it's a novel essentially. And that might seem a little like counter, like counterintuitive to a certain extent, but like everybody has different kind of writing concepts when it comes to, when it comes to RP, what their prose is like, what their dialogue is like, right. Um, like I'm a very dialogue focused person because movies are a very dialogue focused thing. And I'm thinking a lot about how people are saying the things that they are saying. And I think all dialogue is essentially powerful because it's all action driven, right? As soon as dialogue starts, I am driving forward, right? I'm driving the scene forward. It is the engine on which the plot moves essentially, because that is fundamentally true, um, of, uh, of movies. And that's kind of my, that's my viewpoint into the world, right? Um, but someone who grows up on and kind of quote unquote trains themselves on, uh, um, this is going to be like, um, uh, uh, th this is going to sound mean because there's a lot of kind of like stereotypes that go into this, but I'm not really trying to address those stereotypes in a quality sense, just in a sense of like, there are certain sense of, uh, there are certain set of different parameters that come into making this sort of thing successful. Right. But if I'm a woman who reads a ton of like romance novels, right. Like the kind of Fabio cover romance novels, my viewpoint for what is appropriate writing and how that writing comes down, uh, and what I'm focusing on in my writing on the page is wildly different. Right. And when those two things meet, right. Me who have, I have very few dialogue tags, right. Dialogues tag being like, he says, she says, I don't do a lot of, uh, I don't do a lot of like in my head action things where someone says, Oh, Baron thought that this was a stupid, dumb idea. And, but he didn't say that. Right. To me, you can't, you can't see inside of a character's head in a movie, right? So you have to translate that stuff somewhere else. You do it through body language or you do it through, you know, like whatever else you kind of need to get it into, right? Um, but it's a very natural thing to go into that sort of stuff if, you're, if your kind of viewpoint and your anchor for this sort of thing is like a romance novel, if that makes sense, right? right. So I'm going in and I'm talking about, oh, Sheila thought this and that and the other thing, right? And all, and all Sheila could see was this blankety blank and all Sheila could wonder was about whether this was that, right? All of these kinds of, uh, all of those kinds of things i read that stuff and it drives me fucking nuts because to me it's not action right it's it is it's just kind of like character wheel spinning that's not driving anything's forward necessarily um uh and i'm sure that that's this is the kind of person who and that kind of person reads my writing and is like oh what the you know like i can't get into this i don't understand what's going on in this person's head right i can't uh, i can't empathize with this character sort of thing right and i think that that same principle right is is affecting 
Sepkowski to a certain extent, right? He he's coming at he's coming at just games as a medium, um, and the writing that takes place in them as a guy who writes literature and so he can't help but just be annoyed that the medium is structured in a fundamentally different way on a on a granular level than what he would otherwise prefer as you know like as a writer if that makes sense and i think that there is something to be said a little bit for like those kinds of perspectives being uh being kind of qualitatively equal in a sense right um, using using a romance novel, using a screenplay, using a novel, using a video game as kind of your dominant perspective uh, in, in, in interfacing with how your writing, writing hits the page. Um, none of those are inherently better or worse than any of the others. They just kind of come with a different set of parameters. Does that make sense? Uh, I think so, yeah. Um, yeah. I've really defended him a lot more than I, he says something really dumb in here. Did I say this already? Where's the room for depth and sophisticated language within games that could elevate culture? Yeah. There is nothing right. Like that's just a that's an awful. So dumb yeah, my my, <laughs> my favorite part of that is always the line before it. Um, how much substance can there be in the lines of text when the hero walks through the woods and talks to a squirrel? Like that's just kind of like like why why are you focusing on like that like. What do you think video games are, right? Like, like, the, the, like, what does the potential of talking to a squirrel have to do with any of this? Real, like, 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 it, it, like the, the kind of way he he sets up this quote is kind of kind of betrays exactly kind of why he doesn't get it, which is I I think both enlightening and and abusing to me. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know why he chose to like. That line in particular just just kind of grabbed me. It's like, what what are you talking about? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that there's, um, uh, you know, I think that this is, and this is the same kind of, kind of thing that Keith Giffen gets himself in trouble with. Is he makes kind of like an out outlandish statement uh, that if you read it, kind of like absolutely right, like it's wrong to a certain extent. Um, and so, like, maybe there's a version of this where, like, we go and we talk to Sapkowski and can uh, kind of convince him. Like, like maybe there's a version of this where he says, like, oh, they can be. It is possible to be. Just that all of these games are fucking garbage, right? Okay, well, that's a little bit more – you know, I, I'd still say it's wrong, obviously. But it's more palatable than the kind of can never be. It is impossible to yeah. be of the kind of Roger Ebert version of this. Um I mean, like, not to dredge that up, but, like, Roger Ebert at least kind of has a defensible perspective for what he thinks of as art and why video games categorically cannot uh, cannot become that, right? Like, I think he's wrong, but, like, he is just less wrong than than Sapkowski is. Yeah, I, it, actually, could you, could you go into that? Like, I, I, don't, I don't quite follow you. The, the Roger Ebert argument is essentially... Um, uh, that you you can so okay if I'm playing a video game right as a member of the uh, you know like as a member of the audience the the art does not progress unless I progress it if that makes sense right and that interaction means that there is some kind of percentage of authorship 
and that percentage will vary, right? But there's some percentage of authorship that is then imbued upon the player rather than the author. And art is is and when when that when the audience become like adopts the aspect of authorship to a certain extent, right? It then fails to become art because the way that Roger Ebert was discussing art was in the the kind of was defined essentially by saying right like this is some artist right some artist is distilling himself and his thoughts and his whatever on something for me as an audience to then interpret and okay. understand right but now but now if we draw if we bleed the line between who you know. If the audience adopts some percentage of authorship in there, it can no longer be the true vision of a singular, you know, like of an author anymore. Of an author. And therefore, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Right. Uh, and therefore, art is then impossible um, because that is a definitional aspect of what creates a video game, right? Um, okay. I, I, I see what you're saying. I, I never really dug that deep into the Roger Ebert. Yeah, I mean the the Roger Ebert controversy uh I think got marred a lot because there were a lot of rebuttals that were just taken in very bad faith. Um there's a couple of quotes in the way that he said that in the in the way that he wrote what he wrote uh that you can kind of pick out and they distort that principle. Okay. Um and you can react to those quotes by essentially creating the straw man, which is what happened. And then now everybody thinks Roger Ebert hates video games for like stupid, dumb kind of right uh, reasons when it's when it's just more. It's more about how he defines art and artistry in response to uh, the the uh, uh, like the fundamental aspects of what makes games, games, movies, movies, books, books, whatever else uh, kind of thing. Right. Whereas, by by contrast, Zipkowski appears to just think that you're not able to approach that level of. Uh, yeah. Of, yeah. He just seems. It, yeah. He's, he's a hater. Yeah. Yeah. He's just a. As, as, he's just a hater. As uh, I, I think I would agree with 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 Dmitry Glukovsky when he said I think he's totally wrong and that he's an arrogant motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think he's an arrogant motherfucker when it comes to the way that you know his uh i think the thing that makes him an arrogant motherfucker is like his like well the the witcher didn't do anything for my games yeah, right. like that oh that that was just like what are you talking about um man um and you know and, and it's funny too because you know he goes to these like he goes to conventions he goes to meetups and he kind of like size and he says like i am duty but like you know this is the thing i must do so i will do it as if he's duty bound but he, he could just stay inside of his house and not do that um i don't know very puzzling very puzzling character um but i think that uh i think that does kind of um in, inform kind of i don't know i don't know. I, I think i don't know what i think what do you think buddy <laughs> I think there's a lot of different stuff that comes into this, right? For instance, um, I think the whole conversation, there's a video that I will try and remember to um, get you to link um, about the, the kind of folly of um, trying to define art and like media in a lot of, in a lot of ways um, because it's just not, it's just not worth your 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 time 
to, to yeah. do so, right? Like, the, so the video is called Tomatoes or How Not to Define Art, and it essentially sets up the, you know, just to explain this really quickly, right? Like, it essentially sets up the, um, uh, the kind of, uh, uh, so the way a botanist looks at a potato or to, a tomato, right, and the way a chef looks at a tomato are two different ways that people look at a tomato, and whether or not uh, a tomato is a vegetable or, or a, a fruit, fruit, okay, yeah, it, yeah, is defined by how you know, like by what if you know botanically a tomato is a fruit, right, but. Culinarily, Culinarily it's it a, is a, a, it is a essentially vegetable. a vegetable, and a, ve I mean, and a vegetable doesn't really have a real definition otherwise than it is a it is a kind of amorphous category of things that do things similarly. You to know, other it things. is it's a culinary term, right? Like like vegetable right. vegetables are not like a botanical classification. I have insight into this particular issue because um, my favorite Supreme Court case is Nix v. Hedden, where the United States Supreme Court decided that tomatoes were vegetables for the purposes of tariffs. <laughs> Um, it set up the important precedent that we use the plain language definition of words when uh, interpreting laws. Um, Supreme Court facts for you guys on our video games podcast. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you've been about you've been a lot about the Supreme Court for uh, facts yeah. recently. It feels like yeah, I, I so for the audience at home, I'm a weirdo and I read Supreme Court opinions as they come out, and I've been good about keeping up with them lately. So. Um, I, I'm always brimming with Supreme Court facts, um, but uh, but anyway, and so so the point that he's making inside of the video, right, is that anyone who gets into kind of like finicky, you know, uh, like finicky definition debates about what is art and what isn't art really is kind of missing the point, right? It is less like art is not important because you can define it as any one explicit thing it is important insofar as you can talk about you can talk about things in inside of this context i guess if that if that makes sense right and so the kind of dinner table arguments that he's that he's trying to kind of say are useless and perfunctory and stupid um are are a little bit uh are a little bit on the same in the same yeah. vein as this this kind of sort of thing right I and I, I actually I agree with this a little bit, but I don't agree to a certain extent. People also kind of use this same logic when it comes to defining games and defining media, which I think is wholly wrong and bad, right? I think that understanding how media works in a uh, in a top down clinical sense and having kind of proper strong definitions uh, can be can be a very powerful uh, useful yeah. thing. I mean, I, I, this kind of speaks to the nature of definitions. I think de definitions are as useful like. The, the power of definitions is to kind of shorthand and inform the discussion you're trying to have, mm. right? Like, if like an argument about definition is just kind of – is that it's based in an attempt to approach um, – like attempt to approach like the meaning of the debate. This is this is actually why I hate 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 the video games don't have to be fun argument because what that argument always 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 is is an argument about what fun means and that's. Not. I was just about to bring that up. Like it's it, it's 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 not useful, right? Like people get mad about video games don't have to be fun because they are reading the title with the definition that fun means enjoyable, whereas the author always 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 means happy go lucky, and like it's. Uh, you and I have literally had this yeah, argument. Where I had this podcast, probably. We, you and I were actually having the argument, 
And it came down to like I was using like one online dictionary yeah. definition that included the word mirth, which was like the foundation, right? Was, the entire foundation yeah, I mean, was that one word mirth was in there. Uh, and you were using a definition that didn't have that yeah, word. I, mean, it's, it's, so, I yeah. mean, like, you know, as you know, I, I I like to think I have grown over over the years and, and, and kind of like and uh, as a generally pedantic asshole, like de- definitely <laughs> Definitions, like, arguing over definitions doesn't resolve anything about the actual argument. It just kind of defines what your act- what your arguments actually say. Um, yeah. And unless unless you're, like, arguing to a resolution in a kind of formalized setting, there, it, it's not useful to just tell someone that their definition is wrong. Um, yeah, I mean, that's also, that's always what struck me about those articles uh, in general, is that it always seemed like an extremely bad faith reading of it when people got super angry about it, because nobody let the kind of author of that article set the term, you know what I mean? Like, so I think, I think it's a bad thing, and he sets, and he sets his terms and says, this is what I'm talking about, right now here's why I think that, you know, like, yeah, on those terms, this argument makes plenty of sense. Nobody's going to fight, you know, like nobody's going to fight you. Are you going to say that the, like the, the article is kind of clickbaity? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a bad faith title. I, I, I think the author knows exactly what he's doing when he puts that title, that, that kind of title in there. Um, and I, and you know, I, I like, I, I think actually in this case, the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? Like the, the title's there to grant the clicks and then the, like, you know, people making those rebuttals are also looking for clicks, and so they are taking the opportunity to kind of rail against. Um, I think the the, the kind of like and, and something else I want to mention, by the way, um, is that the first rash of these articles seem to have come out uh, with. Uh, I guess it was like a quote from like an industry executive or whatever. Um, see, this is kind of why I'm a little bit on like the kind of article writer's side a little bit more than I'm on the people who get mad at those articles side, um, is because the quote was something along the lines of like, quote unquote, like, where's the fun in this or whatever. Right. And they were talking about some game that's like a horror game or something like it was like a survival horror game or something like that. Um, and, uh, and, and this is cropped up a couple of times, not necessarily based on the back of that. Uh, like of that specific instance, but I think, <coughs> you know, like I think there is like an industry expectation and a kind of culture of this sort of thing, um, and that it's about uh, kind of rethinking a little bit of how we we engage with and talk about, you know, like and talk about. Yeah, I, I think I think this is kind of like an, an aspect of of what essentially is the video game culture war. Mm-hmm. That kind of like because like on the one hand you have people who want to like elevate the art form, on the other hand you you have people who feel like. Who, who feel like the other side is looking down their nose at them, and I think that the other side does look down their nose at them variously, right? I think there are few people who yeah, are happy to say, "Ah, you're a cretin that doesn't appreciate true art." I also think there are people who are just looking to ele- to elevate art and don't care if you enjoy your Rocket League and Candy Crushes. Um, and I, I think this is, I, in fact, I think I think the modern or you know th- this argue this this art argument isn't that old, but like the 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 today argument, a version of this argument is. Are is X are games political inherently political, um, and I th- oh, and I think it falls down the same hole where like the kind of the 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 one side is is you know no games don't have to be an embodiment of a you know don't have to be spreading a particular message where the other side is that every like you know insofar as auteurs exist in in video games there's going to be kind of a reflection of that person's values in the game and that has, has some kind of inherent uh, policy see the see, see the secret to all of this. 
and I can't, and I, I understand why it's still contentious because nobody listens to our podcast. The <laughs> to all of this is understanding the kind of games as art slash games as sport yeah. dichotomy, right? To right. me, like that's where that's where it comes down to. And I think that there are times when those things blend. This came up very recently in the in the context of League of Legends, um, because. I it was something about, like, the sexuality of character. Like, I, th I think it was one of the writers. There was, like, an AMA or something, like, the Riot guys. And, the, and, they made a, and they made a post about how they don't explicitly address the sexuality of characters. Because if you are ambiguous, anybody can project it. And if you are... But if you are specific, now all of a sudden you're specific. It's locked right? in. Yeah. It's locked in, right? You know, I can look at, as, as a gay man, I can look at Tarek and say, wow, it's great that this is the first, you know, like this is the first gay champion in in League of Legends. Or as a lesbian, I can look at Vi and I can say, this is great that this, because, you know, those two characters are both coded gay and or lesbian as, you know, as necessary in so far as you want to kind yeah, of and, rely on those kinds of stereotypical codes, right? And, and um, you could look at it as, as like a, a tomboyish woman and be like, Vi represents me, a tomboyish heterosexual woman and be like, this, right. this character represents me. This, this kind of goes, this goes, this goes all the way back. Uh, uh, this reminds me of um, a long, very long time ago, I did uh, a report on Charlie Chaplin um, and it kind of, did that, that was a character that kind of bridged the age of, uh, of, of talking films and and mm -hmm. uh, Chaplin is very f famous for kind of expressing the idea that before so his, his the first talking film for uh, Charlie Chaplin was, was the little dictator um, and he felt that was important because because he continued to not speak beyond the advent of talkies because he mm -hmm. felt that by not talking Charlie Chaplin was kind of like uh, anybody could project themselves into Charlie Chaplin because he didn't speak with a voice that was anybody's. He could be your voice. He could be anybody's voice. Um, and you know, the little dictator being about Adolf Hitler was important enough for him to break break that that, that other important um factor. But uh, this is this all kind of rolls back to the same thing. Was the less you leave to find, the more you can allow people to project themselves into characters, which is, which is super important yeah. for video games, right? Like and, and, and it also really hit right in the same vein as uh, the Tracer thing hit. Yeah. Where they where Blizzard did define Tracer's sexuality um, in just like a comic or something? Like yeah, Overwatch, it, it was like, in a comic. Like the Christmas was, Overwatch comic oh, yeah. or whatever. And so that kind of thing really came into it. And I think these are both games where it's, well, Overwatch is a sport. You know, like Overwatch and League to me are definitionally games as sports. Right, but they are games as sports played in the world, and like the the world building has been done of games, you know, like the games is art stuff, and so the the you know like the interlay the like the interlacing nature of those things can be like kind of really tough to parse out in a way that like Rocket League, right? Um, you know, there just there is none of that in Rocket League. Uh, I mean, unless there is, is there any lore to Rocket League that you so, know? Of? So the 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 things I have not played Rocket League in a long time, so maybe they've updated a little. But the the thing, the things that I've seen are people who like, um, like took the camera outside the map and kind of like looked at like the levels, which there is a fair amount of detail to, and um, it's kind of like variously like it might be kind of like a post-apocalyptic society that was kind of ended up building itself around these like. These Rocket League, like Rocket League says, like real sports matches type of thing. But that's all like speculation based on like what's in the background rather than like anything hard. Um, and that's all more, that's all like, this is a thing where nerds have to like write as much lore into something as they can. Um, yeah. 
and you know, and yeah, there's probably some things that play into it, but but you know, it doesn't have to be there. It just kind of happens to be there, and people like to to like imagine and write the Rocket League fanfic. Um, yeah, and I think uh, um, see, Rocket League is a, is a pretty interesting because that because there are also games that are you know like it's it's just hard it's just like hard to parse some of it. like like for instance, there's all this lore to the Payday games, which are also a little bit sporty but in a pve sense yeah. of that of oh, yeah. that idea you know what I mean? like it like you know uh like in the payday universe because you're playing as these criminals and the it is the state of the criminals that is um like like these are the kind of protagonists you're playing like all of the cops are just like horrifically brutal <laughs> like and everything and you li- and like the like even though it is effectively the real world it's also like not the real world because like uh, uh there are the aspects you- of it that are just like a weirdly police state that are canonized like in the lore because nerds have like you know yeah. nerds take this stuff well, really seriously it's the same world as uh, John Wick right He's in the game. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess it has to be the same. And Hotline Miami. Uh, yeah. Oh, you're right. How And Goat Simulator. <laughs> How crazy would it be if there was like a payday like um uh like a payday cameo in in John Wick 3? I uh, would that would have been, uh, that that that, that well, would be great. It could work I, you know, too. To be honest with you, I have to say the thing that makes Payday so satisfying to play is the thing that makes John Wick so satisfying to watch. Yeah. Just the kind of mowing these guys down and the guns and the flashes. You know what I mean? Like, it's just I I never get that sensation from PvP shooters, but I consistently get it from Payday, and it's the reason that I've always had a really easy time. Uh, going back to that game and just like going nuts for like six or seven oh. hours or whatever, and, and you talk, talk about like you know um, adaptations. You can like you could see the influence of John Wick on games. Like uh, I can't find the source for it, but there is a clip of I think it's Leon from Resident Evil shooting a bunch of zombies, but he's very clearly like doing the John Wick thing, right? Like he's he's holding the gun very professionally and doing like double taps. And I'll, I'll I'll try and find a, a link to the GIF and, and link it in in the description. But you know, it's like I, you know, I, I think it's a real big because I think I think John Wick also is adopting the certain like the gooiness of the kind of headshots. Like this is something that I love about Mass Effect. Mass Effect has always had really fucking spectacular headshots. Like in in Mass Effect Three, the uh, the Cerberus troopers kind of have this big like big vest armor thing and it and their and their head is like a like a little uh uh like a like kind of a like a round nub sort of thing in the middle of this like big bolt like blocky vest and when you headshot the troopers and by the way it is canonized they talk about this a little bit that like the the troopers physiology is all fucked up which is the reason that their heads like explode explode but they explode upwards in this like fireworks like display and it's not like super graphic or anything but just like it's such a satisfying headshot to hit right um the same thing is true for the ket in uh in mass effect andromeda who are kind of like these these bone aliens with like green blood and then you shoot them in their bone heads and they kind of like uh uh they kind of like crumple and uh and like that like their heads explode off and it's just so satisfying and there's and there's just something viscerally great about hitting a really good headshot and getting that beautiful animation to play and that is exactly like the kind of John Wick filmmaking style right like what you know you, your super rooted camera where you're watch you know watching him shoot this guy in the head or whatever it just 
it just looks good. It just looks satisfying. Yeah. Um, even though he's like, you know, <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of people, uh, he's murdering them. Yeah. Well, anyway, we, we've talked uh, about uh, adaptations <laughs> for quite a long time. Um, we didn't even get into my like the fun stuff I had like kind of like on my back burner that I wanted to get into, but we'll do that another time. Maybe, okay, I suppose. Um, uh, well, in that case, how was your week? <sighs> That's a good question. Uh, how was my week? I um, shit. What did I do? I didn't really do all that much. I just I've I, I've just been plugging away at Mass Effect Andromeda. I'm pretty close to beating the game at this point. Uh, I'm pretty super high level, and as I was I was talking about last week, right? Like the higher level you get, and to a certain extent, right? Um, you you are powering yourself up because you're pumping more uh, you're pumping more points into your abilities. But your abilities themselves have a pretty low cap compared to what like the the number of points you get when you get higher into the level cap. And when you're when you're getting higher and higher into the level cap, the great thing is um, you get more abilities to put points into, which allows you to tackle individual situations with very different, uh, uh, with very different loadouts, essentially. So when I walk into, you know, like the big boss fight, which is a lot like, um, uh, the big boss fight, like, uh, like the dragon fights, if you ever did any of the dragon fights in Dragon Age Inquisition, right? Um, it was a lot like that, right? Like, uh, they have these, they have these big bots called architects and there's one of them on every, you know, on each of the, on each of the different planets and you fight them and you bring them down they get, uh, my loadout for an architect fight is vastly different than my loadout if I'm just coming up on like a random group of ket, right? And if it's a group of ket that have the anointed guys, which are big, heavy, shielded, heavy weapons, troopers, my loadout for those guys is different than with... Uh, if there's a bunch of Ket Destined, who are these close combat guys that uh, can invis themselves and use shotguns and stuff like that. And so, like, that has made the game very easy, but it's it's not easy because I outscale the content, but just because I outstrategize the content. Uh, just because I have so much stuff that I can be so flexible that no matter what, I'm always going to be... Um, effective. I don't know. I'm always going to... Yeah, I'm always going to be... I'm always going to be effective, I guess. Uh, so yeah, that's yeah, that's that's. Uh, I I went through all of my loyalty missions. Those loyalty missions are great. You can really tell that they put a lot of love and attention into those loyalty missions. And um, I think uh, uh, they are, you know, it's they are not on they are not on like recycled levels. They're on very unique levels, and each of the levels are very cool and interesting in and of themselves. Um, like, you're on this, like, collapsing space station for the one with the Krogan. And that whole mission, by the way, is just... <laughs> like, the premise of that mission is that, like, there are a bunch of mercenaries there, and they know you and your Krogan friend, Drac, by their reputations, right, of just, like, how ridiculously badass, like, you both are. And so it's kind of like one of those, like... It's like it's like it's like an eighty. It's almost like a tongue in cheek. Is that the bar fight scene? No. Okay. No, that's that fight scene is also. Did you see that? I, I love that. I thought that was I saw, hilarious. Uh, I I saw it briefly. I've got I've got a question for you to follow, but finish what you're saying. Sorry. Yeah. The, so the whole thing is like, you know, like you walk into the level and all of the mercenaries are like, oh shit, it's it's the Pathfinder, it's Drake. Ah, everybody runs. Everybody's like freaking out, and you're like killing the shit out of these guys. It's kind of like uh, it's a little bit like those tongue in cheek. 
kind of action movies, like kind of like the last action hero, maybe is like a good example of this. Um, or like the nice guys might be a good example of this. Like Shane, any of these Shane black movies, um, where, uh, the kind of, uh, like your reputation precedes you. Everybody knows that you are a badass, And so you're kind of like, you know, you are playing the point of you being, Oh, like, like the Expendables, kind of like, almost? Yeah, oh, yes, that, that's a great example. Like the Expendables, almost, right? Like, everybody knows that you're a badass. You walk into the situation, and you just are, like, the biggest badass, and you're being a huge badass, and it's, and, you know, and it's really cool, and it's a lot of fun, right? Um, or, but then there's the one, you know, there's, uh, um, uh, well, whatever the case may be. Each of them have the, they have these individual mechanics, you know, like the one I was telling you. Um, about with Liam, the whole thing is a giant Star Wars reference. But one of the things that happens is the gravity in the ship, the you're fucking with the artificial gravity in the ship. And so you're replaying the same kind of areas and zones, but one, you know, like... Yeah, you once went over where, this uh, last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once where the regular floor is the floor, then it's when the ceiling is the floor, then it's when the side is the floor or whatever. And it's just cool, you know, it's like cool to, to go through the levels. These levels are designed in just a really cool, interesting... Uh, interesting way, man. I fucking love this game. I really hate that it, that it kind of got so trashed uh, for these uh, for these animations and everything because it is just like it's just so good. Um, so, so question for you because this is I've heard this opinion once or twice maybe um, that uh, uh, that the Krogan are kind of like the like the, the Krogan are kind of uh, culturally. Like, essentially, the, the Krogan in this game do not match what they should be. Um, essentially, maybe even bowdlerized is the right word. Um, how do you feel about that? Um, and, and my, my, like I, I haven't heard that, actually, but in what in what sense? Do you know what sense people are talking about in that Um, way? And kind of like that the Krogans are, like, the, the like the kind of, like, hard-ass, badass, like, like you know, along with all the problems that, like... Essentially, the, the criticism that I have heard levied is that... Um, Essentially, they've they've taken out the things, like the good things and the bad things that go along with them, kind of being like hardcore warmongers that have very traditional gender roles, um, and they've kind of like made them like look like less. And the the thing I've seen is there's like a fight between two different Krogans, and that looks really terrible. It like looks like like a weird shoving match, uh, that that looks silly. And this this all came out around the same time that that um everybody was shitting on. The, the graphics. Um, so I, I, I don't know if you've, if, if you like, you know, if you feel free to tell me that that's just not true at all. I, so they, okay. So here, yeah, I think the Krogan have had a, uh, I, I'm, it's kind of a lot to unpack there. I get the gender role stuff. Um, the Krogan have always been, and the original Mass Effect is pretty bad, all told, about the way that it inf like it kind of interfaces with gender. You don't see female Turians um, or female uh, Krogan in the first game. You also, by the way, don't see male Quarians, and obviously there are no male Asaris. And by the way, like it is kind of it's like really unspokenly kind of sexist almost the way that people in like the Asari are like this the you know the this matriarch uh culture of like blue sex bots <laughs> like you know um but like all of that stuff aside right uh i think the other games follow up on it very well and dimensionalize it uh such that it's not an issue for me um there's something you know there's something kind of that runs around in these uh sort of uh like liberal uh criticism cultures called quote unquote the thermian argument which is that 
um, which is which is an ex like a, a kind of um, it's a reference to the movie Galaxy Quest. You cannot make your thing in universe unsexist by giving it an unsexist reason for existing, right? Um, the idea being that the Asari are not a sexist representation of you know kind of females uh, or like women in whatever in whatever. Uh, kind of sense because there is an in-universe reason to justify why they are and do be behave the way that they do insofar as they behave is, you know is, sexistly or whatever you is, know, is this you like is this like related to like you can't say there aren't like dark-skinned blood elves because you have an in-universe reason for that? Is is that like similar? Yeah, yeah. I I don't I don't subscribe to okay, this. I yeah. think that this is okay, I can, I think that this is bunk essentially. Well, right? well, um, so so just I have seen Galaxy Quest. What what is the Thermians supposed to? So the Thermians are the people who look at Galaxy Quest, the TV show, and see that it's real, essentially, right? Um, and uh, and oh, so okay. the, and yeah yeah and so they um, uh, and so the idea I guess is something along the lines of like them interpreting the the game space translates into reality in some weird ways like and i get and i get that and i subscribe to that theory to a certain extent right like yeah i understand that if you if your entire diet is video games that have awful representations of women yeah you probably think of women differently right um but i don't but i you know i don't go hardcore on that kind of train of thought or that logic right uh and i think that it's you can you can kind of justify and get around some of these things without without you know you can get, you can write yourself out of problematic territory if i'm going to just like use the bad term for it um in the same way that you can write yourself into problematic territory and that's exactly what i think happened right asari in mass effect one right uh, are not the greatest representation of what you might think of that race being. Um, Asari in Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3, where they grapple with a lot of different things, right? Um, you know, uh, in Mass Effect 2, for instance, there's this whole thing about how Asari is such a long-lived species, right? That, yes, relationships are fleeting, and it kind of makes sense given the things that you yeah. hear about Asari being promiscuous in Mass Effect 1, right? Like, <laughs> um, and so that stuff, anyway, this is a little off topic, right? That stuff permeates through all of, you know, kind of all of the games. Uh, and the Krogan have kind of lagged behind because even though you get, you get a, um, like, uh, you, but, you, uh, uh, so, so the, the Krogan are, are kind of that way, but it, it's because that they, like, you know, to, to kind of go back to your point, they, they've got a reason for it, right? Like, it's 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 not necessarily like viewed as a positive thing in the game world. It's just kind of like the women are valuable because they've got this terrible breeding problem because of the genophage, and that's just kind yeah. of like the well. So okay, so what I think people are reacting to is that female Krogan are much more common, right? Okay. Uh, for a long time, there just were not models for these things, right? There were there was not a female Turian model. There was not a male Quarian model. Uh, there was not a female uh, Krogan model, right? In Mass Effect 3, there was a female Krogan, but she was hidden under that, like, essentially burka thing. Right. Um, so you didn't actually, like, they didn't use a unique model. They just put a different oh, okay. flavor of Krogan under there. Now you can see what female Krogan look like and how they look differently than male Krogan. Uh, the big thing is that the kind of crest that they have on their head, male Krogan, it ends in a point. Female Krogan, it kind of dips down a little bit into their forehead and is rounded off almost. Um, and the leader of the Krogan colony that gets started up in Andromeda um, 
in the, the desert planet called Elodin. The leader of that Krogan colony is a woman, right? It's Overlord, like Mokra or whatever her name is, right? And she's a chick. And I think to, uh, and you know, like, and there are other, you know, like there are other Krogan women that are just thrown into that society on you know, on the colony or whatever. Um, whereas in Mass Effects 2 and 3, it was always those colonies were, you know, they were explicitly separate, divided things, right? There were the quote-unquote female clans, and the shamans is, and the female shamans were the ones who uh, dictated who had breeding privileges, right? These are terms straight out of those two games, right? Um, that stuff does seem to have gone by the wayside, but I think that it's, it's just a matter of, uh, uh, like, it's just kind of a natural outgrowth, I guess, um, of the way that andromeda restructures stuff okay um they discard they discard a lot of this kind of stuff i mean there are no quarians in andromeda for instance right there are no elcor there are no uh vorcha right like any of the you know like there are a bunch of other races that just don't even show up in andromeda um and you know stuff like the turian hierarchy doesn't exist you know like there's cultural stuff that gets thrown by the wayside right uh the, for instance the andromeda initiative does not have the same kind of blanket ban on ai technology okay. that is you know is true of the council races so from my perspective they have explained this stuff out sufficiently inside of their own lore that it doesn't bother me uh i can understand how someone who i i, I guess if you are really into i mean they, god see they were so mean to the krogan essentially in mass effects you know, one, two, and three, right? Like, like they, you yeah. know, yeah, you you sympathize with them for the genophage and everything like that, but then you go to fucking Tachunka and that place is just such a shit show that like, like I can't imagine somebody looks at that society and is like, mm, oh, mm, honorable warrior society. It's like, they were like, the Krogan are a giant postmodern piss take on, right. you know, the, like the that you know I, I guess they're really going after like klingons and yeah, shit yeah. right like that kind of like warrior culture that stuff gets much better uh uh addressed kind of in the turian who are much more kind of like order based yeah uh, well, than what you see I'll, for klingons I'll, I'll try and link that video um in uh in in, in here as well it's, it's actually the, the video i saw this in was by um liana kersner who is who is a, a very kind of a famous gaming um, feminist type uh, of, of kind of a different flavor than, than say you're Anita Sarkeesian's. But it was interesting to hear it from her perspective because she kind of tends to um, fall on, on, on the more moderate side. And I would, I would have expected her to have, to have seen that nuance. So maybe, uh, maybe you can watch that and we'll, we'll talk about it next week or, or some such. Um, yeah. I'm uh, I, you know, there might be, you know, um, there might be uh like nuances that I'm missing in here that make this more, and I'm also not technically done with the game, um, so I haven't seen. Uh, I, I don't. So I, I haven't seen everything, okay. and there could be stuff in here that I just haven't seen yet. Okay. Um, I don't think she finished it either. I think it was kind of a generalized. I'll I'll, I'll like it for the listeners and for you, buddy. Um. Uh. But uh. Yeah. Um. Is that, anyway, is that your whole week? Uh, yeah, that was my. Um, that was my whole week, I guess. What would you do? How's how's your life going? Um, it's pretty good. Um, I what did I what have I played this week? Not a ton. I have played some a little bit of Overwatch, a little bit of Heroes of the Storm. Um, those are both fun. Uh, what else have I? That's that's a lot of. The, I also played some Enter the Gungeon. I had a really great run 
where I got really deep into the uh, into the level because I got like seven different passive updates in the Crown of Bolts, which is a great. The Crown of Bolts is a gun. It the model instead of being in your hand is on your head and it fires bolts in all directions. It's very it's very Enter the Gungeon. Um, uh. Uh, I'm very happy because it's probably the first I've gotten on a Gungeon run. Um, and I kind of, I love these. I don't play it enough to kind of like ever have beaten it, but I play it, like I play it on and off enough. Like I'm, I've got 37 hours on it. It's probably one of my top 10 games at this point. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, have I, have I done anything else significant with my week? Um, no, I played a little bit of N plus plus two, but that's, that's old news. Um, and I have not played it yet, but I've gotten into the Necromancer beta test for uh, Diablo. I'll play some over the weekend. And, uh, we'll talk about it next week, I guess. Um, oh, other, uh, thing to talk about briefly. Um, I, I guess just cause it's kind of like nerd, um, nerd news as it were. I'm, uh, I'm listening to the audiobook version of, uh, the, of, uh, the first Dark Tower book. Oh shit. Um, have you ever read it? No, I haven't. Uh, uh, I, I am excited for the movie. I think it's going to be one of those things where I just watch the movie okay. uh, to be introduced to it, I guess. Well, you know what? I bet you I, I am certain we will cover it on this podcast and we will do similar to um, our Ghost of the Shell episode. I will talk to you as a, a fan of the series because I, I have not finished the first book, but it is very good so far and I can't imagine anything making me hate it. Um, and we, it'll probably end up like that. You will talk about a fresh set of eyes in the series that we'll talk about as a fan of the series and we shall discuss that way. So you're in, you're like, you're into it. I am into it so far. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, May is going to be a big month for me. Like there's basically a movie coming out every week in May that I'm like, does does Dark Tower come out in May? I thought it came out. No, no, no. It comes out later. Okay. Uh, It got bumped by like one week, I think into the, like the top spot in August, like the first weekend in August. Okay. But, um, but yeah, I'm just, just May is a big movie is is like a big movie month. Uh, like there's the new. Have you seen these trailers for like the King Arthur movie? Yeah, yeah. I am super into it. I hope that it's awesome. I don't really hope that it's good. Uh, <laughs> I hope that it's um, um. If I could get something like Kong, I would be I would be ecstatic, right? Uh, because the more and more I see trailers for this movie, the more and more I'm just like. Yes, give it to me. It's like, you know, it's like, uh, uh, it's kind of like, like, what if King Arthur, but superheroes and also Lord of the Rings. And I'm just, it is such a great uh, kind of combination of dumb, awesome things that I want to see. Like, I think they're, I, it, it is, it is unclear because the shots in the trailer are too short to, to kind of like put this all together. But I'm pretty sure there's a giant elephant, a la Amumakil, but with a pyramid. Like, with, like, an Egyptian pyramid on its back. And that pyramid, like, runs into Mordred's castle? Or whatever the the bad guy... I, I think the bad guy's not Mordred. It's, like, it's like Vortigan or something. Um, and there's this whole bit... And there's this bit in the trailer where you see fucking King Arthur in, like, no armor, right? His, like, rags and shit... Like, doing super speed, like, sword swipes. And I'm just like, oh, yes, give this to me. <laughs> this looks like... Uh, this looks like my shit. Similarly, I am hype for Baywatch. Um, oh, my God. Okay, I was not hyped for Baywatch at all. And then I, I saw... The trailer? trailer. Yeah. It's so funny. I must have seen the trailer in front of, like... I must have seen it in front of Ghost in the Shell. Is that where you saw it? I, it must have been, I cannot, I saw it, I was laughing my yeah. ass off, and I was just like, 
man, I just want this to be great. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I... Because it's, it's, you know, it's funny because it's one of those things where I look at, I'm just like, why did this, like, why is this getting made? Why are, is, is any, who's nostalgic for this? And the movie is very clearly like, okay, listen, we're not going to take, because as far as I understand it, Baywatch was a serious TV show. Right. Right. That was just kind of like, it occupied a space because like it was women in swimsuits and this was before internet porn, right? Like it occupied a space of people only watched it for the boobs essentially. For the plot, and right? So, yeah. And so they are, uh, and so they are making a movie where they're just like, nobody is legitimately nostalgic for this. They are like comedically, parodically yeah. nostalgic for this. Uh, which I think is kind of interesting and unique, and I'm yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you, down. Even in the trailer, they're like, you know, uh, it's sh- we're lifeguards. Shouldn't we like call call the cops? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was so great. Yeah. Oh, I thought that was that yeah. was fantastic. Uh, the, the, that is that is a movie that I'm unironically excited for. Um. Uh, but yeah. Um. That's uh, I guess that that was my week, and that that's that's I guess what we're looking forward to. Um, uh, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? No, I guess. Uh, oh my fucking god, we didn't talk about House Rebels. Okay, oh we right, completed, fuck. Oh man, god damn it! Now we only have like five minutes. Okay, we completed the House Rebels section. The uh, the maple, the defense of Maple Seed Brook. Uh, how did that go? How did you? Um, uh, I, I I I am. I'm still not totally convinced about the way that the tower went down. Like, but we we talked about that last oh, time. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah I, I I just I just you know, I explained I explained that to Rachel because I was very proud that I got to <laughs> I explained it because uh, that I got to point out that they have that move like that Cyclops is as written in the world right in 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 Pathfinder have that move and that's what you know and like that's what he was using. Yeah, uh, because it you know like insofar as the sacred contract doesn't get much more sacred contract, sure. then it's like I did not homebrew that shit at all. Oh no, right? no, he Abs- just has this ability. Absolutely, I I still fall on the side that you should have that you should have telegraphed it. But yeah, I think I you know uh, I I eventually thought about it. Um, uh, you said something that I thought was great, which was the kind of like the lightning flash of it uh, was fantastic. I would have been I think that would have been the right way to do it. Um, you know, what, you know, like the lightning flash. You see, you know, like you see the outline of the like the silhouette of the of the Cygor, and then he he throws the boulder, right, right. Uh, kind of thing. That might have been uh, uh, that might have been the best way to handle that because it's not you know like like I gave you guys time to react to that, like so, like enough time to react to that that Beauregard was able to like load, oh an yeah, extract yeah, yeah, and fire it. You know what I mean? Like there was plenty of time. It would have made more sense if you. Like, like, if a boulder is actually flying at you from outside of the dark, right, you, you would have... Like, no reaction. You wouldn't have had... Yeah, you would have, like, no reaction uh, to uh, to that uh, to that kind of thing. And it's obviously raining and stuff like that. It were, that, were, that, were, that I th- So, anyway, my point is, I think that would have been the perfect implementation of that kind of... Uh, yeah. Of that moment. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's interesting because I, I talked to Alaric and Weirin about it. I saw... So, um, I I saw we're in, in uh, Charles and I saw uh, Jimmy in person over the weekend because we were we were back in in, in town for our reunion, um, and uh, uh, Charles was 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 a little bit so Ch- Charles was salty about the boulder 
Um, Jimmy was like, well, there's got to be tension, which I think is, is a thing that you would appreciate very much. I would appreciate that very much. Thanks, Jimmy. Way, way to go. Shout out. Um, Jimmy's my new favorite player from the Rebels. <laughs> um, but um, I would be remiss if I didn't say that, like, you know, to be fair to you, the pendulum does swing both ways. There was definitely some bullshit with that with those trees. Oh, oh I thought that was great. Though. Oh, it was, I was it really, was. I, you know, it's funny because uh, this is something I was actually I was also talking with Rachel about. Um, is the kind of yes and improvisation right. that comes in it, and I think it's easy as a DM. Uh, especially in a DM with a group like ours, to get in a very no situation, right? right? Um, because you have power gamers who are not trying to be cool or awesome, right? Or try and make big hype moments. They're just they're trying to, like, game, break the yeah. system. In the, yeah, they're trying to break, like game the system in their favor. And that kind of mindset is something that I react very negatively to, right? So when I see that sort of thing, my default reaction a lot of the times is to kind of say, no, you can't cannot do this bullshit to try and get out of the challenge that I have just placed in front of you sort of thing, right? Uh, but this thing with the trees, uh, taking, you know, like, the, the trees coming down on the Saigor, that is the exact, like, you know, like, that is... I, th I think it was a little bit motivated in this way. Like, I'm not going to lie. I, you know, Enoch is, is a, is a power gamer. I think that, but it was, a a, it was a thematic though. It. Right. It was thematic and it was definitely awesome. And it was easy for me to pump up that awesomeness factor that I want out of it. Right. Um, right. And it, it was also, it was, it's appropriate, right? It's not, it's not like Beauregard or Alec was like, Oh, can I charge the fucking tree with my, with my sword cane? Right. Like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I really, I also really liked how it was something that uh, that that kind of spiraling yeses really kind of made its way throughout the party. Um, kind of everybody but got on board. At first, it was I guess it was technically Marigrug's idea, yeah. right, with his lumberjacks, right. At first, it was like this incredibly awesome thematic idea with Marigrug and the lumberjacks, and then you know, uh, and then Rakax gets in with his ability to charge through shit, and then Alaric sets the trees on fire, you know what I mean? I yeah. really liked it, like the whole team working together, especially because that Saigor had like 300 hit points and I was just like... Yeah, yeah, no. How else are you going to take him down? Though to be honest, that was just me being... I, I sh the, the archers were too buffed uh, in the first place, and I didn't I, I, it should have been harder to be archers, because uh, like the like the raw amount of DPS that they were able to do was pretty. pretty yeah, I, although I, if, if if I remember correctly, you said that they just they happened to roll well. Um, yeah, that's true. So yeah, the archers on the south side really did happen to roll like fucking spectacularly. See, so the original setup for this is that melee is much more rewarding for the, for like the farmers because um they have uh, they have higher to hit and they have um. They have higher to hit because they don't have to deal with cover, right? Right. Um, and uh, the base damages were higher, but because you guys trained your archers in fire arrows, they went from doing five damage an arrow to ten damage an arrow, just because I kind of wanted to keep the numbers rounded. Right. But ten damage an arrow ended up being, like, a lot. And right, the Waywatchers right. also had an ability that said anytime they do damage to a beastman, they do another five damage. So the, the Waywatchers, who have higher to hit anyway, are just, like, mowing down these beastmen from the tower... Um, Outside, that was probably not like within "quote unquote" balance. Right. Um, that said, those there was just a lot of hit points on the screen, and I think we were at a pretty good clip for. Uh, it would have been easy to be overwhelmed with baddies. Yeah, I, um, I think the 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 fight had an appropriate tenor. Um, yeah. It took about the amount of time it should have. 
Yeah, definitely. And I also think that, you know, and I also don't feel, like, super bad because, uh, like, you were supposed to theoretically walk into this fight more damaged than you were. Um, like, with more of your, essentially, troops missing and having died, right? Those farmers were pretty squishy, all told. Um, but you guys were just very good and, you know... You, you placed your hexes, your not your hexes, your hedgehogs strategically, right? And you were able to uh, uh, you were able to get on and fight the beastmen uh, in the right way. So I also don't feel bad about you essentially kind of over, like quote unquote, overgearing the content uh, of that final kind of three waves battle um, because you know, yeah, you you the strategy was good and sound and you did it and good job sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like this is kind of like one of the harder problems to deal with 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 tabletops, and kind of it's kind of like, a, you know, I think there's there's a um, a, a temptation to kind of adjust the content to the like, like essentially make the the fights at all about the same tension level, but then that doesn't reward good strategic. Um, play by the players it just yeah it, it, like your, your reward is you get a fight that is about as hard to defeat as if you were ineffective um and and insofar as you know and insofar as i'm on board with kind of the sacred contract stuff that is something i am very on board with i never want to cheat against you because you had good strategy against me if that makes sense right like like you know the, the way Maple Seed Brook should have ended kind of dramatically to a certain extent is with a lot more dead bodies on the ground, I think, right? Like, I think that would have, you know, like, the, the you guys fighting to the last man would have been probably the most satisfying, like, skin-of-your-teeth victory, right? Like, um, like, I, like I, to a certain extent, and I don't think that this happened, right? But, like, to a certain extent, I think there's, an, there's uh, like, maybe a feeling. Like, if somebody were to walk out of it, and, like, like, Enoch would say something like this. If Enoch were to walk out of it and say, like, oh, that wasn't as hard as I expected or whatever, that would be a bad thing uh, to a certain extent. Um, but I don't want to cheat, you know, like, in, even though I think that's the perfect, that's the best possible resolution, I don't want to cheat against you in order to force that resolution to take place, right? If you have good strategy, if you think outside the box, you will, you know, this is why I put so much time into that kind of, uh, into that strategy section, right? Uh, you guys will come out of this with a better um, uh, kind of victory quotient of people being alive in Maple Seed Brook, right? Uh, and that did, and you know, and that did happen, right? You kept Rupric alive, which was a big deal. Um, if he had died, you guys, you guys lose, you auto lose the Waywatchers, uh, just like as a piece of oh like, really behind the scenes. Yeah, if you if he had died, every everybody, all of the Waywatchers really like Rupric, right? And he's following your orders, and so you if you if he dies because he's following your orders, the Waywatchers all blame you guys, uh, I see. Uh, and then they shit on you for being like shitty cosmopolitans who like don't understand the fucking the way watchers or whatever and they got our super cool leader killed uh but you guys didn't do that right good job uh, right that, uh, so, so so that's that's, that's interesting to uh, i i feel like i feel like if that had happened it would have it would have felt really shitty like i th yeah i think it would have too but that is the point right? okay uh is it is you know so uh so, so that was that would have been an unfair, frustrating thing to deal with. But like, yeah, they were not. They the way watchers are not treating you fairly. And okay, it's supposed to be frustrating. So, mm, the, the only thing I, I, I would kind of say to that is that I don't think that weight was properly kind of foisted onto 
I guess Jimmy's in this case, shoulders, right? Like, I don't think it felt like you giving us control of those characters felt more of like a mechanics thing and like a fun thing than it did like a, a kind of like a story driven thing. Yeah, that's fair. That's also because I, I forgot to do it okay. at first um, because I just didn't I, – I literally didn't copy the tokens over because I forgot to do it sort of thing. So I kind of had to add them after the fact, which which also sucked. There's a couple of points here where I fucked this up, right? For instance, I almost never applied cover for how uh, the archers were doing. Um, just because there's just so many roles happening and it was impossible for me to keep track of this. I fell off, the, like, you know, I was trying to do Boiling Blood at first, but I just couldn't keep track of it. There's just, like, too much going on uh, in order to manage. And so part of this is definitely, like, my fault from that perspective. But, like, yeah, the the intention of that is to be exactly as unfair and as, like, a... Uh, uh, as kind of a frustratingly punishing thing as it sounds to a certain extent, right? Sure. Um, because the idea that you get blindsided by that even after you save the... You know, like, even after you save the village and by extension, the Waywatchers or whatever, them still treating you that shittily uh, oh, sh does kind of come out of nowhere. And that was something that I was, like, tr that was built into. You know, like, yeah. a little moment that you didn't think of that spiraled against you sort of thing. Like, the cards were not in your favor sort of thing. Sure. It, 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 but, it's yeah. just kind of that feeling that, like, it didn't necessarily feel narratively that we were taking control of them. Right, like, 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 the, like the kind of look I think is indicative, and in kind of when, um, when Rupert kind of hinted at this, and he's like, "Oh, I was following your orders, and you almost got me killed," and and Jimmy's response was kind of like, "Wait, what?" Like, it, 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 it's, 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 uh, it's, it's a hard thing I think to, to, to convey to. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, part of me wants to do a little more kind of, uh, like almost like battle RP. Like I was thinking about that. Yeah, that makes also, sense. Also, where I was like. You know, Rupert says this, that, or the other thing, or whatever. But then I, I just there was so much going on that I was kind of like, eh. And I also think that, um, in a certain sense, I want to keep combat, uh, I want to keep combat and RP separate, uh, and like I don't want to bridge those gaps too, like too much, um, in order to keep people sort of focused. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, that that, that uh, definitely makes sense. Um. But yeah, we've gone way over time. Um, I think I think the fight was awesome. Did you want to say anything else about about the? Uh, no, I was really glad about it. I was super I was super into it. Um, <laughs> um but yeah, um, that's uh, that's our show. If you'd like to talk to us about what you think of video game adaptations or uh, Andrew Sapowski or video games as art or um, Mass Effect Andromeda or Hell's Rebels. You can reach us at subdurstplaygames at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitch at uh, twitch.tv slash You can follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes and all those great places. All the links will be in the description. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to promote, buddy? I have nothing else that I am uh, looking to promote at this time. Uh, in that case, uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>